Would you like me to seduce you? That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. Of all the gin joints and all the towns in all the world, he walks in a mind. Why is rum always Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. It's a trap! Hey guys, welcome to the Cellular Fiends Podcast. I'm your host, Mo Long. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mitchell C. Long. And as usual, I'm here in the studio with my wonderful co-host. What's up, Celluloid Fiends? It's Gabriel Orto. If you want to go ahead and go to Facebook and give us a like, that would be fantastic. You can also check us out on Twitter at Celluloid Fiends. And we really appreciate you listening. We'd also appreciate if you went over to iTunes or Spotify or Podcast Addict or wherever you will listen to your podcasts and you subscribed as well as left us a review. Tonight... We are talking about the action comedy Beverly Hills Cop. This movie came out in 1984 and had a budget of $15 million. And it made a whopping $316 million at the box office. It currently holds an 82% critic and audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. This was directed by Martin Breasts. And Beverly Hills Cop follows young, rule-breaking Detroit detective Axel Foley, played by a young Eddie Murphy. After a botched sting operation, Axel is reprimanded, and his boss, Inspector Todd, threatens to fire him unless he reforms. That evening, Axel's old friend Mikey Tandino shows up in Detroit and winds up murdered in a professional hit later that evening. After Mikey's death, Axel requests to be put on the case, but he's refused. Under the ruse of a vacation, Axel travels to Beverly Hills, where Mikey had previously been working as a security guard. And there, he teams up with Detective Billy Rosewood, Judge Reinhold, and Sergeant John Taggart, played by John Ashton, and investigates Victor Maitland, an art gallery owner who he suspects is involved in Mikey's death. So... What was your first experience with this film? Well, when I was a child, I did watch Beverly Hills Cop 2, but this is actually the first time I've ever seen Beverly Hills Cop. Really? Yeah. I did not realize that. And so this is a movie, this was a Mopic. I don't think we mentioned that earlier. And I've seen this movie, I, I don't even know how many times, probably 10, more than that. I think the first time I watched it, my dad and I rented this from the now out of business VizArt video. And it was either on VHS, it may have been DVD, but I was in this 70s and 80s action sci-fi horror phase that I was going through and I was watching a bunch of stuff like 48 Hours and Alien. And I picked this up and I kind of fell in love with it. And I've seen the other two Beverly Hills Cop movies, and I've loved all of them equally. Although I think the first two are probably my favorites. So, since this was your first watch, what kind of struck you about the film? What was your takeaway? I thought it was pretty much a a very well-done comedy movie, which a lot of the time, movies that star Eddie Murphy 
usually tend to go that way. They're usually pretty well done. And his comedy's pretty on point with the situations that he's thrown into. Usually, most of the time, I feel like they give Eddie Murphy the, the plot to a movie and they just say, have at it, and he improvises. I don't know if that's true, but that's just the way I feel. Hap- that's the, what, what I think happens. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think my first watch of this film, I didn't really quite understand the brilliance of Eddie Murphy's improvisational pieces during this movie. But yeah, I, when I was doing re- the show notes, I looked up on IMDb, apparently Eddie Murphy, along with Judge Reinhold and John Ashton, improvised most of the film. So there's that Super Cops monologue that Eddie Murphy gives right after he's taken into the police station when he, Taggart, and... Rosewood are in the strip club mm-hmm. and he gives that super cop speech and apparently that was pretty much just all Eddie Murphy at living it and if you rewatch that scene and look at what John Ashton is doing he's like pinching his face and looking down so that he can because he's trying not to laugh <laughs> it's and let me tell you something it is hard not to laugh watching this movie oh yeah and this is totally an action comedy at its finest. Like oh, yeah. It, it really embodies the action as well as the comedy. But to me, what's unique is the comedy seems a little more muted. It doesn't kind of delve into National Lampoon's level comedy or anything. It doesn't get ham-fisted. But you're just laughing out loud the whole time. Oh, yeah. Except for there is one scene during the movie that you don't laugh at all. That's the scene where they kill his friend. Like, they made that pretty dark and grim. That was, especially because of the bonding that was going on between them. They haven't seen each other in years. They're childhood friends. And there's that really sentimental moment at the bar where Mikey puts his hand on Axel's shoulder and just says, I love you, man. And then the professional hit is just brutal. Right. Yeah. No, that was a... Very rough moment. But aside from that, it does kind of maintain a pretty lighthearted tone. And even even that scene isn't really... It doesn't dwell upon that moment. And it could have been very easy after that moment to go a very grim, I would say, Twin, Peak, twins, twin Peak-ish type Laura Palmer theme song type monologues and just serious trying to find the killer of his friend because it it was not an easy scene to watch if if you don't like that kind of stuff no no it really wasn't and that is sort of the crux of the film right it's not an easy scene for us to watch as the audience, it's not an easy moment for Axel to just passively accept. Right. Hence, he goes to Beverly Hills. And he's told multiple times by Beverly Hills police, as well as by his own boss, to just drop the Mikey murder investigation and let the authorities handle it. But instead, he goes rogue. 
as much as I love this film, though, it's it's not very realistic. I don't think how he just continuously breaks the rules throughout the film. Right. And there are no ramifications at all. I mean, I guess he delivers results, but I don't think it was very realistic. Like, I feel like every time he got pulled into the the police station in Beverly Hills, they're like, hey, you better watch yourself. And then he's like, okay. And then he goes right back to what he's doing. And then they'll pull him in and be like, hey, you better watch yourself. Now get out of here. Like three or four times. It's like the parent that continuously threatens their kid but never actually takes any action. Right. Like, hey, you're going to get grounded. And then never actually does anything. So, did you have a favorite scene in the movie? One of my favorite scenes is actually right in the beginning of the movie where he's trying to sell the cigarettes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's, a, that's an awesome moment. I also enjoy when um, he, he um, sends room service to the cops outside. Is this the man who wrecked the buffet at the Harrow Club this morning? Is this the man who sabotaged Sergeant Taggart and Detective Roosevelt's car with a banana and the tailpipe? <laughs> yeah, no, there are just so many brilliant scenes in this movie. Uh, those were a couple of my favorites. I also really love the super cop speech. Like, I was just cracking up the whole time. And then when he gets to the Beverly Palms Hotel and goes on the tirade about uh, being oh. a roll, pretending to be a Rolling Stone reporter there to write... And, and then they wouldn't let him Jackson. stay there because he's black. Yeah! <laughs> oh! And so I want to I get back to the opening scene, which you mentioned. I tend to think it's one of the best opening scenes in any movie that I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. So why is that one of your favorite... It's classic Eddie Murphy. He's just ram. He, he's obviously stalling the inevitable by just rambling and coming up with excuses. And it's it's just key. It's like you want to know what Eddie Murphy movies are about, like how his comedy goes. That that that's like a key scene. Like I I think that his stand up comedy is a little bit more raunchy. But, like, you get the gist of how his movies go whenever you see that scene. Absolutely. Like, even even with things like Donkey from Shrek, his comedy is, like, very like that. Oh, Donkey from Shrek. (laughs) Just wait for the Celluloid Fiends Shrek episode. He also played Mushu in Mulan. We'll do a double feature and watch Shrek and Mulan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are some of the reasons that I like it as well. It's just, it's classic Eddie Murphy. He's fast talking and you can tell he's improvising. Like the character is improvising in that moment, but Eddie Murphy's probably improving that entire scene. Right. But also from a narrative perspective, it sets up the character of Axel Fold. He's a rule breaker. Oh, yeah. He... He's a smart aleck. Oh, yeah. He's he's definitely a smart ass. He doesn't have his shit together, but things usually turn out all right for him. 
and it just throws you into the middle of this sting operation. You don't really know the backstory, but you're able to glean a sense of what's going on, and you don't really need to know the backstory. Right. What you need to know is Axel Foley gets into these situations, gets reprimanded, doesn't really care. Everything usually turns out all right. Right. One part at the end I also really liked, which was the final showdown with Victor Maitland. And Axel actually gets shocked. And I thought that was a very unique moment. Because in most action comedies, the heroes don't get shot. They come out pretty much unscathed. And that's something I like about the film, as well as the way it sets up Axel Foley as a character. I think he's kind of one of the more unique franchise stars. He is. And it's... It's uncommon that the hero in these action comedies do get shot, but not as uncommon as you think. John Ritter got um, shot in Problem Child. I never saw that one. You never saw Problem Child? Nope, never saw it. Like, it's a funny movie. I think Arnold got shot in Last Action Hero. I never saw that one either. Really? Yeah. Wow, like it's, it's not common but it's not totally uncommon either but I but then again um, Beverly Hills Cop came before the both those movies so he it could be the originator of that move I do think this movie sort of set a standard and that standard is the buddy cop oh yeah standard this wasn't the first buddy cop movie but it's arguably the best buddy cop film, or at least in the top three. But what are, what are your top five favorite buddy cop? Movies? Oh man, like I don't know a ton of buddy cop movies, so like it's it's hard for me. Like I can't, I really don't have a list offhand of that. Like um, what was the one with Mark Wahlberg and um, Will Ferrell? I'm blanking on that one. Let me look it up. That one was The Other Guys. The Other Guys. Yeah, that was a good movie. I really don't have a top... Like, like as many people hate hate this movie, I think Cop Out was a good movie, too. With Bruce, Bruce Willis and um, not Kevin Hart, but Tracy Morgan. It was a Kevin Smith film. I never saw that one. You're not throwing out Rush Hour 3? Oh, uh, I like Rush Hour. Rush Hour is a good buddy cop movie. Um, Jeez, this is a hard category. There are a lot. Yeah. I think I I I pretty much know my top five. Beverly Hills Cop. Mm -hmm. I, I could probably just say all three of those, but we'll go with Beverly Hills Cop. Tango and Cash. Bad Boys. Oh, Bad Boys, yeah. Do you know what is also kind of a buddy cop movie, but they're not really cops? Men in Black. Oh, yeah, well, you know what? I, I can see an argument for that being a buddy cop film. If, are, we, are we including that as a buddy cop movie? I think we can include that as a buddy cop movie. All right, that's my number four, Men in Black. That movie has aged very well. And... Was that was that for? That was for. Uh, 
Lethal Weapon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a straight-up classic. But, yeah, Beverly Hills Cop, I think, really set a standard for... Buddy Cop movies. Later Buddy Cop movies. Interestingly, though, the role of Axel Foley was originally going to be for Sylvester Stallone. And Stallone tried to rewrite most of the script... And it was apparently going to be a much darker film. Like, kind of fucking Cobra dark. Mm. I don't think that would have worked too well. No. Because as much as I love Cobra, it's hard for me to look at the Beverly Hills Cop franchise as anything but action comedy. Right. And here's the thing. I could never see anybody else except for Eddie Murphy playing Axel Foley. No. Stallone is a phenomenal actor, but I don't think he would be able to create the sort of character that Axel Foley is. Right. Let's play a little fantasy casting, though. Axel Ooh, Foley. I knew it. I knew it. Who you got? Who do I got? Axel Foley. Um... Tracy Morgan. I could see that. I could totally see that. I am going to say Martin Lawrence. And this is mostly going by his character in Bad Boys, who was different than Eddie Murphy as Axel Foley, but I still think could deliver a goofy, but also serious... Axel Foley, and I'm also thinking his performance in Blue Streak. Oh, yeah. I, and let's not forget uh, the great movie, Big Mama's House. Oh, no. Just when I repressed that movie. The Celluloid Fiends podcast presents Big Mama's House, coming soon. Well, okay, maybe not. We don't want to lose <laughs> subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> Someone else I think could step into that role is Kurt Russell. I could sort yeah. of see that. A little kind of kind of the Jack Burton thing. A little bit. Maybe a Dennis Leary. Yeah. But I, I still would not if I had to remake this movie, I would not have anyone else but oh. Eddie Murphy take on that role. Oh yeah. And this is uh, this is easily one of my favorite Eddie Murphy films. In fact it might be. Are you sure? Are you sure? Uh, the Nutty um, Professor Two isn't your favorite. Uh, you know the Adventures of Pluto Nash. Pluto Nash. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Celluloid fiends present the Adventures of Pluto, Pluto Nash. Was <laughs> <laughs> he also Meteor Man? Maybe. I don't remember. I'm looking, I'm looking, looking it up. I'm looking it up. We're looking up everything today, ladies and gents. Who is Meteor Man? That was... No, Robert, Robert Townsend. Yeah. There was Eddie Griffin in it, though. Maybe uh, that's who you were thinking about. Maybe that's about. what I'm thinking about. <laughs> maybe that's what I'm thinking about. Uh, I've never actually seen Meteor Man. And I don't know if I plan to. Is that is that one I should watch? Eh, not really. 
But it has, it has quite the cast. Like it has um, Robert Townsend, James Earl Jones. Oh shit. Bill Cosby, Eddie Griffin, Don Cheadle. This is a surprisingly good cast. Maria Gibbs. Like, doesn't get much better than, like, casting than that. The problem is the writing. That's the real problem. Well, you know what? Maybe I'll check it out. And you mentioned the f- that you'd seen the Beverly Hills Cop 2? Yes. And have you, have you seen 3? No. So what... Under what circumstances had you seen 2? Small child, pa- parents were watching a movie, I sat there and was quiet. Okay. Yeah. Uh, because this is one of those film franchises that I tend to think all three entries are pretty strong. I do think the third is the weakest. That tends to be the one that people will sort of rag up on a little bit. But it's unique in my mind that all three of these are films that I can return to on a pretty regular basis. Like, I, I probably watch the trilogy maybe once a year, at least. Just kind of revisit all of them. They're easy to watch and I think have a lot of replay value. Right. I agree with the, uh, having replay value. I would watch Beverly Hills Cop again, no problem. Yeah. Are there any other film series, though, that you can think of where... All or at least most of the entries are equally as strong. That's a tough one, because you like. Here's the thing: like sometimes this, like a lot of film series, like they start to trail off, and then they'll get better. Like it's up and down, up and down. Um, not like I can't particularly think of one, you know. Because a lot of them, like, I like a lot of horror movies. A lot of times when you overdo a horror movie, like, they, they, they tend to overdo it and they kind of kill the character. I totally agree. They're, the only other film franchises that I can really think of off the top of my head where I can watch all three or four or whatever and they all hold up is Lethal Weapon. I think most of those hold up really well. I thought the fourth one was the weakest, but even that I thought was still pretty enjoyable. I love all of the Alien films. I'm not including Alien vs. Predator. Or Alien vs. Predator Requiem. Oh, God. That is one of the top three worst movies that I've ever seen in my entire life. Are you including Prometheus in that? Uh, no. In the Alien movies? Yeah. yeah I, I love Prometheus. I was actually really surprised why people shit upon it. I think you had to open, have an open mind to really appreciate Prometheus. Agreed. And to me, what was surprising was people watching Prometheus and complaining about it were diehard fans of Alien. And of all the sequels, Prometheus, to me, seemed like the most similar to the 1979 classic. Oh, yeah. It was just a pretty bare-bones plot where they're talking about the ship and the crew and the alien, and it doesn't really give... A ton of answers. It does provide some answers, but for each answer it gives, it creates several more questions. And I liked that just straightforward, simple sci-fi film element to it. Covenant gives more answers. 
And I, I did enjoy Covenant, but I actually thought Prometheus was a better film because of that ambiguity right. in it. And to me, it was more thought-provoking than something like Covenant, which provided all the answers. But yeah, in, in spite of some of the flaws, especially in Covenant as well as Alien Resurrection, I still love all those movies and can rewatch them. I actually loved Alien 3. I thought it was a pretty underappreciated film. I think that Alien 3 is underrated. I think that a lot of of people went back and looked at the movie. They would see it's still pretty good. So, getting back to the Beverly Hills Cop, what do you think gives this movie so much replay value? The jokes. It's like, other than a couple scenes, it's pretty lighthearted. It's easy to watch. Oh, yeah. It's very easy to watch. The story is pretty straightforward, but the interactions between Axel Foley, Taggart, and Rosewood really make this film shine and give John Ashton and Judge Reinhold credit. They were phenomenal in their roles, but any scene Eddie Murphy's in, he just overpowers everyone in there. And oh, it's he, almost like watching him in a Saturday Night Live skit. That's kind of what it feels like. Right. A bit. It's like he. this is a, a character created for a skit, and he's just improvising throughout the whole film. And I think that's what gives us so much charm. And like you said, the jokes are hilarious. And you can rewatch this movie and pick up on something that you missed on a previous watch. Right. Obviously. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of complexity and... There's quite a lot of wit and charm to the lovable ruffian that is Axel Foley. So with that, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to keep talking about the Bad Movie Hills Cow. All right. You just lighten up. I'm not listening to you, okay? I'm not listening. You are making it a lot worse for yourself. Oh, thank you. Look at this. This is great now. Thank you, guys. Hey, you got a cigarette? (laughs) (laughs) Did you write that one? That's what I'm trying to tell you. It's not a secret. Everybody knows about you and the truck. Well, Jeffy, will you listen to me? I am not listening listening to you. You La, 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 la. I am not listening to Jeffrey, but he's still talking. I am not listening to you. I really hate when you do that. Stop then, all right? childish. Is that fucking Foley in here? All right, there's time. It's showtime, okay? Hey, boss, I know what you're going to say, but I'm... You mind telling me where the fuck you come off going undercover without authorization from me? What the fuck is this all about? You want to play some fucking bullshit cowboy cop? Go do it in somebody else's precinct. Don't you want to hear my side of the story? What's your fucking side of the story? Let's hear your side of the story. Hey, Axel. I'm not taking any more of this shit from you. You know how much this little stunt of yours is going to cost this city? I don't think cost is the issue here, sir. I think the issue should be my blatant disregard for proper procedure. You damn right, wise ass. The mayor called the chief. The chief called the deputy chief. The deputy chief just chewed my ass out. You see, I don't have any bit of it left, don't you? Where the fuck did you get a truckload of cigarettes from anyway? From the Dearborn hijack. From the Dearborn hijack? That fucking bus went down last week. That truck is supposed to be in the damn pound. I try to tell you. Jeffrey, this is none of your fucking business. This is not my locker. Listen, Axel. No more of these setups, you understand? You're a good cop. And you got great potential, but you don't know every fucking thing. And I'm tired of taking the heat for your ass. One more time, you're out on the street. Do you understand me? Boss, let me tell you. Do you understand me? Yeah, I understand. Boss. Chief ain't true at all. Now she still got a little ass there. 
Don't fuck with me, Axel. Not now. Go on. Go home. Hey guys, we're back and we are talking about the 1984 action comedy classic, The Beverly Hills Cop, starring Eddie Murphy. I want to dig into some of the technical aspects of this film that make it so great and lend it a lot of that replay value that we were discussing earlier. For me, one area where this film really excels is the soundtrack. Like if I had to name my top five or ten favorite movie soundtracks, this would easily be up there. And what makes that unique, in my mind, is that it's mostly just a bunch of pop songs. It's not a unique score except for Axel F, which was composed by Harold Faltermeyer. And it's predominantly Moog. Moog synth. It's just so catchy. It was turned into that. It was remixed into that crazy frog thing, which was awful. Oh man! But the original Axel F is just such a wonderful, catchy, recognizable theme song. Oh yeah, it was even, it was even spoofed on Family Guy. <laughs> Everything's been fucking spoofed on Family Guy. Well, now, literally like early days. Uh, Lois, remember that time I went to Beverly Hills to investigate the murder of my friend Mike? No, it, it was an episode, I think, like, Peter went back in time, and he was at, at um, a nightclub. Cleveland was dancing in, like, a beaded jacket and had a jerry curl, and they were playing um, the theme song, The Beverly Hills Cop, and Peter was singing along to it. I might have to look up that episode, because Family Guy does have its comedic moments. Like, I think one of my favorite scenes was the Aaron Neville megaphone. I've never seen that. Oh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll check it out later. But the soundtrack is phenomenal for this film. I own, actually, the first two Beverly Hills Cop movie soundtracks on vinyl. And I think what this film accomplishes is it pairs the background music really well with the on-screen action. Like, especially in that opening shot where Axel's clinging onto the back of the cigarette truck with the oh, back yeah. open, and he's just getting thrown around, the cigarettes are flying everywhere. Keeping his cool the entire time, by yeah. the way. And the truck's just hitting cars and knocking stuff over, and shit's flying everywhere, and it's uh, playing, what was it, I think the heat is on? No, yeah. it was the Neutron Dance. Yeah. Yeah, but the music just fits perfectly. Let me double. With... Let me double check that. Fact. Okay. Let me. I'm, I want to double check that. We're we're fact checking. Well, the theme of tonight's episode is fact checking. It's brought to you by the letter F. F for celluloid fiends. Beverly Hills Cop. All right, I'm looking it up. Um. There is no soundtrack on iTunes for Beverly Hills Cop. I'm a little upset at that. That's kind of disappointing. But the point is, whenever there is music, it's choreographed very well. Oh, yeah. And I think the cinematography really shines in this movie as well. And I liked a lot of the different locations that they used. They weren't necessarily a ton of recognizable locations, but they very... Which is very easy to do in a city like Los Angeles. Yeah, 
but I felt like that kind of helped keep this film a bit grounded and it keeps it a little less cliche than a lot of other movies shot right. in Beverly Hills. Uh, like, now, do we know that this was all filmed in Beverly Hills or Los Angeles? Or was, or was the Detroit scenes actually filmed in Detroit? You know, I mean, that's something I'm not actually sure about. But it is, I did appreciate how it looked like they were in Detroit when they were shooting Detroit scenes, and it looked like they were in Beverly Hills when they were shooting the Beverly Hills scenes. That's true. Insofar as the plot, I feel like it can be a little cliche at times, though. I think that's maybe the one area that I could really criticize this movie, because it's, it's pretty straightforward from pretty much the first time we see Victor Maitland, we know he's the f- fucking brains of the operation. Like, as soon as he walks into his office and starts asking questions about the murder, it's like, oh, there's a problem, and he fucking did it. And the guy who killed his friend is in the office with them. <laughs> yeah, and Maitland just looks at that guy, and they're not even trying to hide it. But I guess it's not really about the who or the what it's about the process of solving that and providing concrete evidence so I can kind of get over that fact but did you think the plot could have been improved in any way I feel like for the 80s like to be what it was it had to be a simple plot like you can get into deeper plots when it came to sequels or other buddy cop movies but I feel like to be the pioneer you had to keep it simple and this kept it pretty simple I like that. Yeah, I, I agree as well. I think the simplicity sort of benefited the film. And the sequels got a little bit more complicated. I don't know if you remember two at all, but it basically reunites Taggart, Rosewood, and Foley. And the third one, if I recall correctly, actually didn't even have Taggart in it. Really? Which was... That was, a, that was a fault, but it also featured this really wacky theme park called Wonder World. <laughs> yeah, no, it's hilarious. That's why people tend to rag on it, because it doesn't have John Ashton in it, mm-hmm. and because of the really goofy setting. But I still thought it worked out, and actually, the third one, like you were, like we were talking about earlier with the emotional moment of Mikey getting killed... At the beginning of this, has he, the third one has a very emotional and dark moment that occurs. And that's all I'm going to say. I want to keep it spoiler free for you. All right. Because we should watch that one. All right. Yeah, I don't know if we'll feature that on the, on, the episode, on the podcast, but we'll watch it. If there were any other places you would improve besides the plot, what would it be? Ooh. Like, the plot was, like, my only big gripe with this movie. That, like, other than the fact, no offense to anybody in the movie industry, Los Angeles is a very generic location for movies to happen. And, but I think they utilized unfamiliar locations, which kind of helped, came to its advantage. But I would say maybe... A different location than Los Angeles, but then again, it is Beverly Hills Cop. 
Right. Yeah, I, I think I would. I'm fine with the location, especially since they didn't use a bunch of landmarks. I would have maybe enjoyed learning a little bit more about Axel's relationship with Ginny Summers, even just with one more scene between the two, because you know they're childhood friends. But I still think it would have been nice to learn a little bit more about his relationship with her as well as with Mikey. Do they go more in the detail about that in the sequels or no? You know, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember off the top of my head. I do know, I think Ginny resurfaces at some point in one of the sequels. I don't remember which. But I also know that, uh, remember Serge? Who worked at the art gallery with Ginny and kept offering to make the lemon twist? Yeah. He fucking shows back up in the third one and it is hilarious. It's fucking batshit. Really? Yeah. And it's a kind of an unconventional place that he shows up. <laughs> like, it fits. But he was actually one of my favorite characters in the first movie. Like, he's not even in there that much, but... He's in one scene. He was just... He was campy. I liked the guy's delivery. And I liked the latte with a lemon twist that he kept harping on about. <laughs> yeah. No, I thought... Uh, I, I don't know that actor's name, but I, I really liked his delivery in that. Oh, yeah. He was fantastic. But that has to say something about the... The entire ensemble cast of this movie did their job. Absolutely. Besides Axel, who's your favorite character? Oh, man. I, I gotta say Taggart. Interesting. Okay, why Taggart? Like, I like Taggart and Rosewood together, honestly. Because I think they play the role of good cops very well. Yeah, I, I agree. I like both of them together. But my favorite would be Rosewood. Because he's just so endearingly bumbling. Right. And he's so innocent and honest. And there's that, that scene at the end with the final sh showdown. And he and Taggart are pinned. And he goes, hey, this is kind of like at the end of Bush Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. <laughs> and Taggart's like... Would you shut up, Rosewood? They both fucking died. <laughs> <laughs> and then the way he tries to get the guards at the end to put down their weapons, he's like, stop, we're the police. Put your weapons down. And they start firing. <laughs> and Jacket's like, if you do that again, I'm going to shoot you. And then when the reinforcements shoot back out, he does it again. <laughs> <laughs> like, Taggart and Rosewood are definitely... A welcome addition to this movie. It's kind of like they have like ta like I feel like Tagger is the more like down to business type cop. It's it's like when after Eddie Murphy Eddie Murphy gives his super cop speech, he's like that was complete completely false. We went into the strip club willingly with with Axel. He just he's just he just is quick to dismiss Ed. Any lies that come out of Axel's mouth, even if it hurts him in a bad way. Yeah. But then by the end of the film, Rosewood and Taggart are on board with 
going by Axel's version of the of the truth. Right. Yeah. So I, I liked that evolution. I think in a very short period of time, Rosewood and Taggart have a pretty substantial evolution. Oh yeah. And one area where this totally fits with the buddy cop stereotype is the way that they end up being buddies, but reluctantly. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, but I think the friendship sort of comes together in a way that I really love, which is just very organic and natural. And there's not, there's not like that Billy Jack moment where there's a certain event that takes place. It's like, oh, we're best friends now. Right. It's just progressively over the film as they work together or against each other. Mostly at the beginning, it's against one another. They eventually start working together and find out that they're sort of on the same side. Right. Especially through Axel's dedication and providing evidence against Major Maitland. Who played an excellent villain in this movie. Yeah, I don't know what else that guy's been in, but I feel like if I pulled up his IMDb page, it would just be like, villain, 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 mob yeah. boss, villain, villain, <laughs> Yeah, villain. exactly. Murderer, villain, 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 mob <laughs> boss. Yeah, no, he was cut out for that role. And also the henchman who actually killed Mikey was on Breaking Bad. Yes, he plays Mike in Breaking Bad. Yeah, and I feel like that he's another one of those characters that probably got typecast. My boss, my boss, <laughs> killer, bouncer, bouncer, <laughs> weird guy in corner, goon, right, <laughs> hired goon, hitman. Yeah, no, he just has that sort of aesthetic about him. But it's kind of funny wa- watching. The Beverly Hills Cop after you've seen Breaking Bad. Because the first time I ever watched this movie, Breaking Bad, of course, hadn't even been on the air. Right. And then revisiting it after watching the series, it was like, hey, like, it's Mike from Breaking Bad. We all watched this at my at my apartment with my fiance. And she brought up, she was like, is that Mike from Breaking Bad? And I had to look at him real close because he has hair. And, and, and he doesn't have a goatee. Right. Yeah. But... You know who looked the who looks the same pretty much? Who? The guy who played Hank in Breaking Bad. Everything he's in, like before that, he looked like fucking Hank. Like when I saw Lawnmower Man for the first time, it was after I'd seen Breaking Bad. I was like, hey, it's fucking Hank from Breaking Bad. <laughs> it looks exactly the same. So why don't we rate this bad boy? Alright, let's do it up. You want me to go first? Yeah. Alright, I'll go first this time. I think you went first last time. So I'll go first this time. I give the movie a four. Just straight up four. Four it was a solid movie, simple plot, um, timeless classic. Four. I'm going to go with a 4.5. I, I agree. It's a simple plot. It's a timeless classic. I think this is Eddie Murphy at his finest, and he's made some damn good movies besides this. But I think this might be my favorite role of his, partially for the emotional reason that I think this might not have been the first movie that I saw him in, but it was one of the earlier films that I watched with him. It holds up ridiculously well in some rewatches. I think it's nearly a perfect film. I think the only things I might change would probably be maybe just 
making the plot a little bit more complex. But for the time when it came out, and for the fact that it sort of impacted the buddy cop subgenre so much, yeah, uh, I have very few complaints about this movie. Like, I think it had to, as I said, I think it had to be that simple to be the pioneer that it was for these types of movies. Yeah, I agree. I think it was sort of out of necessity. And uh, it's one of those rare movies where I love the entire franchise. I still think this is the best one in the trilogy, but I love all of them. I know there have been talks about a fourth one, and at one point there were discussions about having a a TV series, which I had mixed feelings on. A fourth film, I'd love a TV show. I don't know that it would translate as well. I know Eddie Murphy is open to the idea of sequels because he's currently making um, Coming to America 2. Yeah, which I'm very jazzed for. Oh, yeah. I love the first Coming to America. That's another one of my favorite And he's also done The the Nutty Professor 2, Dr. Doolittle 2. When is the Pluto Nash sequel? I don't know. You're going to have to talk to the studio about that one. All right. We're waiting for it. All right, coming 2021, Pluto Nash 2. Oh, boy. We'll get rid of the 10-year rule and review that one on the fucking podcast. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, that's our show for tonight. Thanks again for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget, head over to iTunes. Give us a review. Leave us a rating. Subscribe. Add us on Facebook. Give us a follow on Twitter at Celluloid Fiends. And you can follow me at Mitchell C. Long on Twitter and Instagram. And you know what? We love picking the films, but we would also love if you gave us a suggestion. So hit us up on Facebook or Twitter and let us know what films you'd like us to feature on the podcast. Yes, definitely. We want to hear your suggestions. Don't do anything we wouldn't do. Good night, Celluloid Fiends. Please, for God's sake, please stop it. There's no more time. You've got to... Please, stop it. Stop it now. Turn it off. Turn it off. Stop it. 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 Stop it.